Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. Ian, it's been like two and a half weeks. How in the hell are you doing, my guy? I'm doing so well. It has been far too long, far too long. The longest break, I want to say, in the history since we really started doing this over the course of last summer. I mean... It obviously feels really weird and strange. I mean, I always look forward to doing, whether it's just one episode a week or even multiple episodes a week, I always look forward to it. And like I said, it felt like I had an itch that I just couldn't scratch not being able to get on this. I had some summer classes that I had finals to get over. Obviously, that was the week before last. And then I went on a five-day beach vacation because finals suck. And they'll they'll do it to you. They'll make you want to just go get out of town and sit on a beach and drink some beer and have a good time and enjoy yourself. So I got to do that with some of my family. I had a great time at Myrtle Beach, but now I'm finally back home and I'm ready to get back into the normal flow of things. You want to know what is normal? Normal is us posting an episode a week. And that's what we you can expect for the rest of time. I can promise you guys, there'll never be another break. We're back. We're here to stay. And we got something really important to talk about. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but the finals are going on. Yes, game one happened two nights ago. Phoenix is currently up one to zero in the series. Can we just talk about both of the these teams' runs to to the finals in, in the first place? I mean, Phoenix, yes, they had to go against an injury-riddled Lakers team, but it's still the Lakers. You still have LeBron there. AD didn't really play too much. And then you had to play MVP Nikola Jokic and then take down the the Los Angeles Clippers who come into the season. We're definitely favorites with Kawhi and Paul George definitely coming back healthy. Now, I know Kawhi didn't play that series, but still, it's like Phoenix has had such a fantastic playoff run. And then for Milwaukee, they also had a a bit of a, a cakewalk kind of run facing a a James Harden and Kyrie-less Brooklyn Nets and still getting taken to seven and facing a very inexperienced uh, Atlanta Hawks team in the playoffs and the Eastern Conference Finals. But both of these teams definitely have proven that they should be here. And I, I hear this from every, at least most NBA analysts, every finals winner has gotten lucky in their own sort of way. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, you can't get to this point and not catch some breaks. I mean, you know, for one, I'm a firm believer in the fact of just if you're here at this point and your team is healthy, you've caught a break, a huge and major break. And especially this year, I don't think it can be I don't think you can undermine how devastating, especially once we got into the postseason, the injuries have been this season for both of these teams. For one, for the Bucks, I mean, just even the fact that Giannis has been able to come back and play in this series, as I didn't think that he would be able to as early as game one, at least for sure, judging off of that injury that he had defending the alley-oop play. But, I mean, if to be in this position and to be 
as healthy as these teams are, I mean, yeah, there's some guys that are out. Uh, Dario Sarch just um, in, in the first game tore his ACL and he's done for the rest of the series. But I mean, no offense to Dario Sarch, but I mean, he was, I mean, this series didn't hinge on how Dario Sarch played for the Suns. I mean, this series hinges on a, a trio of players for both of these teams. I mean, for the Milwaukee Bucks, you have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis. For the Phoenix Suns, you have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and I'd say, well, I'd say the Suns probably extends a little bit further. I mean, they have a, like, I'd say a core of four or five guys that they really, really need to play well, including Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, obviously Mikhail Bridges. And then finally, I would even probably throw in Jay Crowder while you don't have to get the traditional kind of just how much does he score for you kind of contribution. But I mean, he does so much elsewhere that his value cannot be undermined to this team. So the, just the fact that both of these teams can be as healthy, I mean, it's a huge break. And you could say that for every single year. I mean, teams just getting to the finals and the relative health of the players they have that are helping them contribute to that finals run, you know, that that's a huge break. That's something that not a lot of teams can say every single year. I mean, think about every team every year. There's always at least one, even in a COVID, in a non-COVID weird kind of a season, there's always one team that we kind of expect to be better than they are. Insert devastating injury to best or second best or even sometimes third best player. And then it derails seemingly the rest of their season. So obviously, I mean, there's a lot of breaks. There's a lot of different kind of breaks that you can get seating wise and matchup wise and different things like that. But to me, just both of these teams, you know, in this playoff run, at least to me, have the huge break of just being as healthy as they are at this point in the season. Now, I say we we dive into the the matchups here. Um, this is definitely a, an interesting kind of dynamic for both of these teams. Um, starting off with point guard, I mean, of course, you're gonna. I think for the rest of the series, I think Drew Holiday definitely needs to play more on on Devin Booker. But at that point, do you put a guy like P.J. Tucker or Chris Middleton on Chris Paul? or Because I think Chris Middleton could do a good job there, but Chris Paul is just so shifty. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul is, is – he's really the wild card in this situation. Obviously, scoring-wise, Devin Booker is the alpha for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, he is their scorer it makes it a little more difficult because as we've seen, Chris Paul can make it look like he is the alpha score in a lot of games that he plays. And if I was coach bud, my kind of philosophy would be something like this for three quarters. I would have drew holiday guarding Devin Booker. And once we get within seven minutes of the fourth quarter, I'd have Drew Holiday at that point on to Chris Paul. I know Devin Booker is a clutch player. We've seen him do it multiple different times. But we've seen Chris Paul go God mode in the final minutes of a game. The the kind of contribution he adds to your team when it's the very end of the game and the game is on the line, you almost can't even quantify it. That's how good he is. Yeah, it it really is insane. And also – the defensive point guard matchup 
Chris Paul is one of the most underrated defenders, I think, in NBA history. I mean, led the league in steals six times, nine-time all-defensive selection. Guy is an amazing point guard. I he he's he's a point guard. I I I don't think it's bad to say that he's a a top five point guard of all time at this at this stage in his career. Definitely top ten. Ten. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're talking to the right kind of guy. I, I I mentioned it to you before we even got on the podcast that I for probably my own craziness or just blatant disrespect as it probably obviously is, did not think that highly of Chris Paul. I knew Chris Paul was a great and excellent player, but it wasn't until he joined my Thunder team when I saw, especially the stigma that was around him as injury plagued and this and that and washed to see him come in and really turn around that young group of players. I mean, that's exactly what he's done with this son's team. I told you before we got on, this team just happened to be a little bit more ready to take off. And for that reason, I mean, I think, you know, Chris Paul is, to me, with my own eyes, I've seen a lot of great point guards, but pure point guard, like talking about somebody who can run your offense and really truly do it all. I can't name you one better from my generation of basketball, better than Chris Paul. There is very few things he can't do on the court. I mean, and that is something that you just, you can't really say about a lot of point guards. You can always nitpick a lot of other guys, but Chris Paul and truly can dominate a game in multiple kinds of ways. I mean, you touched on it. He could shut down an opposing team's best guard. He can take over a game without scoring a single point. I mean, I truly believe, I mean, Chris Paul could go out there with no hands and probably dish out 20 assists that, are huge kind of plays over the course of a game. And of course, like I've said time and time again, he is clutch as hell. It doesn't matter if he goes fourth with four points on the game. He may only score four for the rest of the game, but I guarantee you those two other shots are some of the biggest in crunch time in the last couple minutes of the game. It's just what he does. Over these last two seasons, I've seen somebody that is so motivated and so willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that he goes out of his incredible career with the ring that he definitely deserves. Yes, I I really do feel like he's going to get it here. I, I hope he does. I I love the Bucks. I love Giannis. I love Chris Middleton. But if there's any any opportunity for Chris Paul to have a ring, this is his, I think this is his truly his last opportunity who who would have thought that this would be the case uh, now I do think it is kind of the general consensus that a lot of people are really really rooting for Chris Paul to get his first ring in this series and I call me crazy but I think if you're not kind of at this point you may just kind of be a Chris Paul hater I'm just gonna throw that one out there but or a Bucks fan or a Bucks fan yes very valid but it's also been this thing where we've kind of been waiting for the Milwaukee Bucks to finally make this push to the finals and really be able to get over the hump and this and that. And here they are in the finals for the first time. And nobody wants them to win. Nobody wants, I mean, like you said, I mean, if you're a Chris Paul hater or a Bucks fan, 
yes, I can absolutely see it. But I mean, I feel like definitely the general consensus of fans would love to see Chris Paul win his first ring. It feels perfect, but I do think that's just kind of ironic in the whole way that it all played out. It's two players that we have waited so long to get here, but because of the point of one of them's career coming on, you know, what is probably, it doesn't seem like the twilight, but it seems like the best term for me to use um, as in Chris Paul, everybody wants him to win. I just do think that that is kind of funny. Yeah, but uh, Giannis, going on to Giannis, he didn't look fantastic game in game one. I know he definitely was – he is still recovering from that injury. I, I know if you look at the stat sheets, 20 points, 17 rebounds. Looks good. But really, after that first quarter, he just looked gassed because he hasn't played basketball like a full game of basketball in, in a week. That is true. I have, I have another kind of theory. And now there is nothing that, you know, over the course of watching this game deliberately said this to me, but you said gassed. I almost wonder if it wasn't a little bit, you know, still kind of feeling those ill effects of that knee injury. I, I mean, I can imagine, you know, your first finals game of your career, you're going into it. Imagine the amount of adrenaline that is going. And I'm sure that there was something that he was, or some kind of precautionary measures, medical procedure that was done before he took the court that was meant to minimize that pain as that coupled with his adrenaline kind of wore down over the course of that, you know, first quarter, I I think maybe gassed. Yes. I, I could easily see that. But also, what are the chances that it was him kind of feeling some of those effects of that injury? I just I have a hard time thinking about that play or even rewatching it and having any kind of confidence on that knee right now. I may be crazy. I may be nervous, Nancy. I'm not sure. But that play was hard to watch. It was hard on my stomach. You don't see a lot of people whose knees bend like that, especially at seven feet tall, who move the way Giannis does. I mean, you don't see a lot of people like that bounce right back. The last time I saw that happen to a seven-footer who moved like that, Chris Depps Porzingis missed a year and a half of basketball. Yeah. It definitely – I definitely think this brought back memories of of the D. Rose injury uh, back in 2011. It it definitely showed signs of that, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Your big superstar goes down. Granted, he was able to bounce back. I don't think it is an ACL tear. I really think it's just a high knee sprain. But still, that that still takes three to five weeks to to fully heal from. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. And if anything, I would say that that timeline is probably a little bit longer. Only, or at least if I was the team training staff, I would want it to probably take a little bit longer just because I I have seen this story before. Now, I I would never wish an injury on any single player in the league and I don't want to see any injuries but just the fact that Giannis the player that he is like I said I've seen so many seven footers and big strong players who get hobbled by lower body injuries and it is it's amplified it's not the same as if a six foot point guard was attempting to come back unless you know the athleticism is there 
their whole package. Whereas it's just harder on them. Their bodies aren't at seven feet tall. You're not meant to run and move like a guard. We saw it happen to, to Kristaps Porzingis. It's the only real comparison that I, I think that I have because there's so few that can move like that. And we have seen KD, uh, who's, uh, depending on who you ask, is 7 feet, 6'11", 6'10", whatever. But even for him, it was a – I mean, we didn't see anything bad happen to him once he came back. I mean, he looked like a legend on the court. But, I mean, that was – kind of to be expected I mean it just did surprise me just a little bit but I mean I obviously understand it I mean the Bucks absolutely need Giannis if they want to win this NBA finals another thing related to Giannis um Drew Holiday's play when when Giannis is on the court is drastically drastically different from when he's off the court as you could see in game five and six at Eastern Conference Finals Shot better from the field, looked like a better playmaker, and then uh, Tuesday night shoots under thirty percent, zero for four from three, and ten points. Granted, he was still dishing out assists and getting some rebounds. He just looks like a completely different player. It, it. I have been going back and forth on this. This is something that we talked about over text while I was at the beach after this first game. And it's something that I'm not sure I could really wrap my head around. My only guess is that Drew Holiday is more comfortable. And it is kind of weird to me because I've always thought of Drew Holiday as kind of a combo guard. I I wouldn't necessarily throw him 100% in the boat of point guard or shooting guard. I I think he can really kind of switch between the two as depending on what you may need from him on a given night as you can see I mean like you said he he's a good passer uh, uh averaging about six assists a game I mean that that is good but it the way it comes he's not like your traditional floor general and I almost wonder if just for him having the ball in his hands helps him to get into his own spots a little bit better I've always thought he was a good player off the ball and that he didn't need the ball but based on his production with and without Giannis, like you said, I mean, it, it is something that I'm struggling to wrap my head around now. I mean, the one thing that I will say in his defense is that even on the nights where, you know, you are getting that 30% from the field, 20% from three, the, the poor offensive kind of performances, you do still have one of the best perimeter defenders. Now, it, it, I'm not saying that that's, any better because I mean sometimes especially when you're dealing with guards that are as offensively talented as Chris Paul and Devin Booker it doesn't matter how good the defense is great scorers are going to score that it's just what they do I mean sometimes like I there's no, you're at their mercy you're just praying for a miss and if they're as good as Devin Booker and Chris Paul are it's the more percentage of the time where you are just praying for that miss you can only do but so much I mean, Chris Paul at this point doesn't have the same speed, acceleration, all the, the physical kind of tools. But at this point, he knows the game like the back of his hand. I mean, he's so crafty. People always, or at least in these playoffs I've seen, are, are crying about how Chris Paul flops and does this and that. Under the current rules, I, I'm not a big fan of flopping, but under the current rules, I mean, he's getting to the free throw line. We, to me, that was the biggest difference in game one. 
the free throw shooting discrepancy between the two teams. The Bucks shot 16 attempts from the free throw line and went nine for 16 at 56%. Whereas the Phoenix Suns didn't miss a free throw until the last two minutes of the game and shot 25 of 26. Now, I know the conspiracy theorists among NBA fans will say it's rigged. It is rigged based off of those free throw numbers. It's not. It's just a player in Chris Paul who knows how the game is called. He knows that if, as the smallest person on the court, if I throw my body into you and go bouncing the other way, I'm going to get the call as long as I have the ball in my hand. That's just how it works. And I don't like it as much as the next person, but I mean, it's smart. It is smart. I mean, we saw what the MLB players were doing this season when it came to, you know, using the, the sticky substances with their pitches. It, it's, it wasn't deliberately outlawed and they took advantage of it. That's what players will do. They'll do anything to get a competitive advantage. And especially if you're Chris Paul in your age 36 or 37 season, you will do whatever the hell it takes to win your championship. It doesn't matter what means. If I got to shoot 50 free throws a game, that's exactly what I'll do. Another big thing is no one on the Bucks team really drives to the basket besides Giannis. I mean, looking looking at that game, it looks like they're all reluctant to go into the paint. It's, it's like they're running just a, a five-out offense, letting Giannis handle the ball and letting him go to the paint and kick it. Like, you you can't expect to get a whole bunch of free throws if you're not being aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I also think, to, to build off of that, I think it was very, very poorly timed when they did drive. I mean, you have a player in, oh, I'm blanking on the name right now, um, Pat Connaughton, who... I mean, Pat Connaughton has excellent bounce. He, he is a good player at the rim. But, I mean, I don't want him going up and attempting to throw down posters or s- super tough layups against a DeAndre Ayton at the rim. I, I don't want that to be the result. And I, he did have four three-point attempts in the game, but I, I guess maybe I saw the two instances where he passed up open threes on an attempt to drive to the basket. And it is a higher percentage shot. But if you are Pat Connaughton, those have to be threes that you take. For the complimentary players on this team, you have to be the shooters. And I do understand Coach Bud's offensive philosophy in that aspect. You want a lot of shooting outside of Giannis Antetokounmpo. At the same time, you can't let it get players out of their own game. I think that could potentially be another reason why we're seeing some of this with Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a great finisher at the cup. I mean, he has so many moves around the rim of ways to get his shot off. He's got a super nice floater. He uses the glass really, really well. And it's just a tough and strong finisher in the paint for his size. You know, as so long as you don't have somebody standing right in front of the basket, I mean, he's a big guard. He could really, I, I hate to say, I, I would take uh, Drew Holiday at the cup over Chris Paul or Devin Booker's defense if he's able to get there. And, and assuming those are probably the two most likely matchups for Drew Holiday. That being the case, why, why not more? Why not more, I would ask. He did have only four three-pointers 
didn't make a single one, and he only hit four shots from the rim. But it's it goes to the philosophy. You know, they want Drew to shoot as much as po- possible. Drew's a decent shooter. I wouldn't call him great. I wouldn't call him terrible. He falls somewhere in the middle. Drew Holiday, let me just check it out and make sure I'm not going crazy. On the season, Drew Holiday shot 39%. But over the course of the postseason, he shot 28%. That is a huge, huge dip. I mean, all of his uh, percentage numbers have dipped. And it goes to the fact that, kind of like I said, like the Bucks are so who they are and their kind of philosophy that teams don't – I hate to break it to you if you didn't know this, but teams don't really game plan – and try and execute to the best of their ability during every single regular season game. There's a lot of players that are just kind of out there, you know, looking the part, so to speak. And now when we get to the postseason and everyone is giving you 100% and keying on what they know you like to do every single time up and down the court, it creates those kind of differences. And for a player like Drew Holiday – who's a great player, but has minimal playoff experience over the course of his career, he has really kind of felt the effects of that, of just being such a one-dimensional offensive kind of a team. Yeah, I hopefully Drew can can figure this out uh, in tonight's game to, to try and make it a, a 1-1 series, because I feel like if this goes 2-0, 3-0 in Phoenix's favor, Milwaukee's out of it. I feel like maybe even if even if they go down 2-0 tonight and even going back to Milwaukee, like with how good Phoenix has been playing throughout this entire postseason, it's gonna be really difficult to to be able to beat them if they're they're really connecting. No. I mean you hit it on the head. I can't think of a team that is more confident right now. I mean, for one, Devin Booker has been absolutely huge everything that we've said thus far about Chris Paul to me I think the same could be said about Devin Booker and the kind of impact that he has had on getting this team here now obviously that sounds like a silly thing to say about what is obviously a team's arguably first or second best player but I've seen a lot of things that are being said about Devin Booker and how good he is and I have to very quickly touch on one of them and it's this Devin Booker is the next Kobe thing now I love the entire aspect of the scouting and talent evaluation world I I love it When, when players come into the league I oftentimes try to figure out comparisons for them and the style of game that they play but that reason is more so to kind of give fans an idea to give everyone else listening an idea of what you can kind of expect from this player. It's not a, you know, squint your eyes and you might see kind of a thing. It's more so of this game has their game has hints of this or this or this. And I, I really think that's the magnitude or the maximum that you could really use the, the comparisons. I, I don't, I think at this point, we just have to realize Devin Booker is Devin Booker. Like he is no one else. First, like once you're in the league and you're established, don't compare anybody because you are so individually yourself. 
Devin Booker isn't trying to be the next Kobe. He obviously idolized him and wants to play the best, obviously, in his memory and be legendary as, as Kobe wrote on his shoes that was given to Devin Booker. It doesn't mean he wants to be Kobe 2.0. Devin Booker wants to be Devin Booker. He's writing his own history. And we need to appreciate that and stop trying to turn him in to the next Kobe. You know, his game has, you know, aspects of a lot of people's game. I, I do see a lot of aspects of a lot of people's different game in Devin Booker. And for that reason, we just need to realize he is who he is. Devin Booker, it's as simple as that. I I do understand the the talk here, but I definitely do think it's it's getting blown out of proportion, especially with guys like Stephen A. Smith going on live TV and saying he's the, he is the next Kobe. I agree, he's his own player, but I I definitely do see aspects of of Book's game that he took from Kobe, just like how how Kobe took aspects from Jordan's game and and made them into his own. Yes, yes, absolutely. But it's not like we were saying Kobe's the next Jordan. Kobe was his own thing. And yes. I, it, it's the same thing with Devin Booker. Like, you you can't – the man's been in the league for six years. It's crazy to think he was drafted in 2015. And he's still like he, – he's just looking like he's becoming a man because he has a beard now. He's no longer babyface. <laughs> but one, once you pass that three-year gap, once you're at the end of your rookie deal, you're your own player. It doesn't matter if you're great, you're bad, you're average, you're your own player. Yeah. And that's also the, the that's about the point where all of that, you know, all of the, it, it's weird. It, I think it's funny to me, you know, the, the, a player's career goes through multiple different phases. And kind of like you said, uh, up and through that rookie contract, you are kind of always compared to what you were supposed to be, what everyone thought of you coming out of college. You're the unsung hero until you ink a huge contract as an undrafted free agent. Think Fred Van Vliet or uh, some of these other guys that kind of rose from relative anonymity coming out of college or you're this big bust that was supposed to be so good was drafted in this position and was always thought of before college, even as one of the best players in your class. Think along the lines of Jaleel Okafor, Jabari Parker, etc. Or you're considered um, sometimes you just have a player where it is so perfect that you almost can't even escape your own comparison. And oftentimes I think about an Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins was never supposed to be the next LeBron. He could never be the next LeBron. And I know that's, you know, news to some people like, oh, well, didn't you think Andrew Wiggins was going to be insane? Yeah, I really did. But at no point did I think he was going to be LeBron James. LeBron James was one of the most polarizing players this game has ever seen. For that reason, it is just simply unfair. And that's why I kind of say that about Devin Booker. And there are, like you said, aspects of his game where he'll hit a shot and I'll be like, that's Kobe's bag right there. That is Kobe's move. And there's other times where I say, man, if that was Kobe driving in the basket, he would have put who fill in the blank on the meanest poster of all time. And that's not Book's game. It's just not Book's game. 
he is his own player and is now officially kind of like I said about the phases of someone's career in this second contract, writing his own history now officially. Yeah, I people do really need to stop with this whole this whole player comparison thing after after a few years. I, I hope it does stop, but I, I, I know it's never going to. Oh, it will never, ever, ever stop. It was, that was just a personal qualm of mine. As somebody who loves to comp players and do things, I think it's just overstepped its bounds, kind of like I was saying. Like, it, it's meant more so, at least when I do it for sure, it's more meant to kind of give people an idea. Because I know there's a lot of players, obviously, you know, a good amount of people know the name Cade Cunningham at this point. We're we're nearing, it's crazy to think the next you know, big juncture in the NBA after the finals is going to be the NBA draft. But, you know, we're kind of nearing that point. And at this point, you know, Cade Cunningham is more so becoming a household name and, and people are starting to recognize it. And, uh, you know, it just start, it's starting to have some name value. But for that reason, it, it just goes to show you that I use it for those players to give people an idea. Now, I, I don't need to, at this point, probably, explain to you Cade Cunningham's game I may have to and when we do you know mock drafts in the future I definitely will but in the time being every player after that I I will probably need to have a comparison prepared for them just to give you an idea of what they bring to the table because you can't expect every single person listening to the podcast or every single person who sits on their couch and loves to turn on NBA on a Friday night Saturday night whenever they choose to tune in to just know exactly who Alperin Sengun is. I mean, he's from Serbia. I, I don't expect you to know his game. I don't expect you to know exactly what he likes to do and things like that. So for that reason, that's why I employ it. Maybe other people who do comparisons or in the scouting community may, may differ from my point of view on that. But I just had to get that own, like, like I said, personal qualm off my chest just because it was something that was rubbing me the wrong way about that when it was – said and you referenced Stephen A. Smith on ESPN doing it it, it was just like I said it's something I just had to say no I completely understand um moving off that though I do have to say Chris Paul why did you have to steal DeAndre Ayton's rebound from having DeAndre Ayton have having one of the most historic nights for a guy his age why I I'm pretty sure DeAndre Ayton would have been the youngest player in NBA Finals history to record a double-double or not a a 2020 game. Yeah. I mean, I know that they didn't their times in OKC didn't overlap, but I'd like to think that maybe someone on the OKC training staff kind of showed Chris Paul a little bit of the tricks of the trade of of Russell Westbrook's stat pad <laughs> and that may have resulted in this moment but uh, I, I don't think that there's you know even the stolen rebound considered there's nothing that we should be able to do to diminish the impact that DeAndre Ayton has oh had. no not at all yeah I mean I, I know that Giannis was hobbled and we've even questioned you know whether it was maybe adrenaline played a factor, whether that injury started to creep back up, whether it was fatigue from time off, things like that. But to me, no matter what his health situation, I was absolutely, I was super impressed, super impressed with the defense 
that DeAndre Ayton provided for the Phoenix Suns. Giannis is the wild card. As crazy as it is to say, a two-time MVP being a wild card. But what I mean by that is he's the wild card in this series for the Suns. DeAndre Ayton doesn't really truly have that lateral kind of quickness that you can expect for him to be the matchup up and down the court for Giannis Antetokounmpo. But when it came to, you know, Giannis trying to do what he does best, and that is absolutely own anything within three feet of the rim, I consistently saw DeAndre Ayton there. And I consistently saw him making life difficult for Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, the 6-4-11 isn't terrible, but I mean, you, you think about anything and Giannis having 11 shots. I know that the game and the injury all has to be considered, but that's crazy. That is very crazy. And it speaks volumes to what DeAndre Ayton was able to do. I mean, I can't praise this kid enough. I, I, I really, I was one of the people who, I, well, I mean, it was a general consensus back in the draft with DeAndre Ayton that DeAndre Ayton was the kind of universal first pick. I was higher than a lot of people. Well, I don't want to pat my back, but so hard. But I, I really did think that Luka Doncic was truly the prize of that draft. But there was no reason to me, and I didn't know that, you know, Luka Doncic would be in, in the top five kind of argument by year two, by year three. I, I did not think that. I will tell you, I, I thought he would be one of the best players in the league at some point in his career. I didn't know he would happen to be the best 19, 20, and 21-year-old the league has arguably ever seen. But I still, even knowing how good I thought Luka would be, did not think that DeAndre Ayton going to the Suns was a bad pick. And it was for this reason. The Suns had someone in Devin Booker who I thought could be that run-the-show kind of a guy. And, And he doesn't occupy that role now that they have Chris Paul. But DeAndre Ayton was a much better puzzle fit beside Devin Booker at that point in the draft I I thought it made sense he was the hometown kid went to Arizona it was only fitting you know uh, send him to Phoenix it it just worked and and for that reason it may have been a little bit of a struggle when you look at the overall career numbers it's about 14 and 10 and you say well that's a not it's kind of teetering in the middle of not a bust and not a home run but I can tell you what he's done in the playoffs has been a grand fucking slam. I mean, shooting 70% from the floor, playing the defense at the rim, it, and it doesn't translate in the block shots, the steals, or any of that statistic kind of crap that a lot of people will look at the box score and say. But what I see with my own eyes and the way he plays team defense in the context of what they want to do and just manning the middle of that team offensively and defensively has been huge for this team I don't think that they're in this position without DeAndre Ayton or even if you just replace DeAndre Ayton with an average NBA center because he is not average he is another one of those guys who's writing his history right now it takes big men a little while longer to figure things out they don't come into the league and instantly dominate I mean we saw that from what Shaq that just doesn't happen on your average basis I mean even Steven Adams the strongest player in the league I'm really on a thunder tangent today I don't know why I'm sorry but even Steven Adams the one of the strongest players in the league he didn't come in the strongest player in the league he worked his way into that and it's definitely a different game for big men in this league you're going from playing against 
players that you could still dominate in college to players that all dominated in college. And that happens across the, across the entire landscape of the NBA, but it's different among big men with how physical their aspect of the game is. And so to just see DeAndre Ayton really blossom is it has been so fun to watch in my opinion. And I mean, it has helped to get this Suns here. Now, I don't think, I think the Suns are a total team kind of effort. And I think you could say that about more than a few guys on their team, but I can really confidently say it with DeAndre Ayton and his play in the postseason. It's just been fantastic start to finish and to watch his confidence grow each and every night. It's something to behold. I mean, this 22 year old is, he's making his own legacy in a similar way to Devin Booker. Yeah, it's definitely crazy to think that going into this year, um, people were looking at, at DeAndre Aiden. It's like, wow, they, they should have drafted Luka. Um, they should have drafted Trey Young. They could have had like such a dynamic backcourt uh, of Trey Young and, and, and Devin Booker or Luka and Devin Booker. It's like they got their, their cornerstone big man. And and then trade for Chris Paul. Now Chris Paul, you did no one expected him to to lead them to to the second seed in the, the West, the the most difficult conference by far. And it's like DeAndre Ayton is truly proving all of the haters wrong, all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you could nitpick DeAndre Ayton's game. In his first few years, I know he had the frustrating uh, suspension a year ago before the whole COVID shutdown and things like that. I mean, he has played. I'm not talking like Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons kind of amount of games in his first couple seasons. But, I mean, he's played less just because of all the outside things and then the suspension that most guys have going into their third year. I mean, this is essentially kind of like year two for him. I mean, probably nearing the end of year two, given, you know, this postseason run included. And and like I said, to watch him grow every single night and seemingly get better on a night-to-night basis is fascinating to watch, especially on this stage. The postseason is a place where a lot of times you can see a good amount of players kind of fall back or, or crumble under the pressure. We've seen the exact opposite from Aiden. And to be 22 years old, it has been just fascinating to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited with DeAndre Aiden's progress in his career. I don't think he'll ever become like uh the the number one option on a team on a championship team. I think he could be a number two um if he can develop a a post more of a post game and, and get a bit of an outside shot. But just him being this third option on on this Suns team, it's really showing like he he definitely can be on a, a high level team and still produce uh if if that's the correct wording. Produce a, a good game. Yes. Absolutely. And I really still think, you know, even with these performances considered. I still think that he has room to grow. You kind of, you touched on it a little bit. I still do think that there's a lot of room for growth in his back to the basket game. I mean, he is still a physical force that is just a tough matchup 
for even a lot of grown men centers in the NBA now. And I think that, you know, just one move or two could go a long way in his game. I've always really, really liked DeAndre's touch and shooting ability. He hasn't really shown it from three-point range that much at this point in his career. A career 18% shooter from free throw, or excuse me, from three-point land in his third season. But I've always liked his touch. And I do think, you know, given a off-season of work or whatever it may take, that he could become a good three-point shooter in this league. I mean, at this point in his career, what he's doing, it's still largely, I don't want to say spoon-fed, but, I mean, it's still a lot of it is a result of a breakdown or a mismatch that was exploited earlier in the play, resulting in a wide-open alley-oop for him. And with him being able to capitalize on that, and being able to put up the numbers that he has with that being the case, there is so much room for growth in his game. Him and Ben Simmons can get in the gym together. <laughs> ben Simmons better already have his ass in the gym. If he doesn't, oh, man. <laughs> um, But predictions for the finals? I got Suns in six. Shoot, you took it right out of my mouth, and I'm scared to even say it now because nobody double-checked me on this, but I'm pretty sure I haven't picked a single series right. I've been ice freaking cold this entire playoffs. Ice cold. I had a real Stephen A this postseason. But that was actually what I was going to say. I'm going to – you know, I'm going to operate under the assumption – Milwaukee's going to handle their business in Milwaukee. I do think that it'll be 2-0. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say the home team wins every game. And I don't think it will happen like that. But just for argument's sake, I'm going to say that will happen. I'll say game two tonight goes Bucks. Game three, Suns. Or no, game three, Bucks. They'll be up 2-1. to one. Game four, Suns. Game five, back in Phoenix, Suns. Game six, in Milwaukee, Bucks. And then game seven, Suns clinch. That would be my dream. I, I want to see a seven-game series out of this. I think that this could be one of the best finals we've seen in a while. I mean, for one, I already love it for the fact that this is not something that, you know, everyone was calling for at the beginning of the season. I remember there was a lot of people out there who were wondering what the Suns would even be able to do, what they would be able to accomplish this year. A lot of people didn't love this idea of a Chris Paul and Devin Booker backcourt. Not that they hated it, but they didn't think it would result in, obviously, a finals run. But here we are, and it has happened. And I am very thankful for that. I think a lot. some people were out there were saying, oh, the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals – and this and that, but I'm not really sure that it was, you know, the general consensus or anything like that. So to me, it's very exciting and refreshing to just see that kind of a matchup. Yeah, this is definitely not what everyone thought was going into the season. I I definitely think a lot of people thought it was going to be Brooklyn and one of the Los Angeles teams or, or Philly and one of the Los Angeles teams, not Milwaukee and Phoenix. Uh, two 
one small market team and one mid market team. Like this is the the dream for for small market team fans. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, it should be the blueprint. I think both of these teams lay out a really nice blueprint for small market teams attempting to do this. On one side of the coin with the Milwaukee Bucks, we have a star player who is one of the best players in the entire league. And what did they do to help and capitalize on that? They got him a head coach who you can say what you want to say about him in the postseason and his inability to run anything outside of what he shows you in the, in the regular season, but a coach who capitalized on his best player strengths and built a team around that that could really complement what he's able to do. And then even when that wasn't enough, oh, they go and get a player of Drew Holiday's caliber. I mean, you can see, you know, not stopping at any means to try and get this guy a championship in your city, capitalizing on homegrown super talent and a super talented player. On the other side of the coin, it's semi the same thing, but it was more, I'd say, so the traditional route. You had the Phoenix Suns who were, they flirted with, um, you know, uh, the playoffs and things like that for a few years in the mid 2010s and whatnot. But then they went through a rebuild. They traded players, got assets, played kind of a long game. And it turned into Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and some great complimentary pieces. And then you see, oh, well, we're only in the, you know, the little, I can't even remember what it was called, the little preliminary thing for the the losers of the the play-in portion of the bubble. And you see, well, we didn't make the playoffs, but I liked a lot of what I saw from this team. And for that reason, you know what? Let's get Chris Paul. Let's get one of the best players available in the trade market. Let's go and do that and, and see how we fare. And look at where they are. I mean, two separate sides of a coin, two different ways to skin a cat, but two teams that ended up in the same place. And I love that you touched on the fact two small market teams because if that prop that aspect of it probably isn't appreciated enough. Yeah, all, all these people out here saying, oh, I, I want these super big market. I want the Los Angeles. I, w- I want Boston. I want Brooklyn. I want New York there. Like, get, give these, these small guys a, a chance. Milwaukee hasn't had a championship since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. His name was Lil Cinder then. It wasn't even Kareem yet. I and mean, then go ahead, Phoenix, go ahead. Ha- Phoenix hasn't been in the cha- in the finals since Charles Barkley. <laughs> like, no, no, I see exactly what you're saying, and it's to me if it every season were to work out as the top two teams from each conference, yeah, obviously that oftentimes presents yourself with a dream matchup. But I won't lie, I, after, you know, the the few teams that have dominated the finals over the past few years, this is refreshing. I, more than anybody, would like to see LeBron James or Kevin Durant or some of the, the those players that we're used to seeing here in this position. But I won't lie, it's not, and lie and tell you that it's not fun to see new faces on this stage, to see new players write their own legacy. Who knows how many championships or whatever they may be in for over the course of their careers. But all I know is they have a, every player on this, on both teams 
has the opportunity to win their first NBA championship this year. And that is something that we haven't been able to say for a long time. And it's refreshing and fun and adds new kind of life to these finals for me. I see some people saying it's boring based off of the fact of the teams that we have. I think it's completely the opposite. Like I, I, my confidence in what I said in my prediction is very little. I do think that the Phoenix Suns will win. But then again, what the hell do I know? I've been wrong every round, every single round on the way here. It could be bucks and five. It really could. And that level of, I don't want to say randomness because that discredits how talented both of these teams are, but just that letter, that mystique or mystery around it is fun and refreshing. I mean, I don't want to know exactly how these finals are going to end, and it's nice to see new players be able to compete on this stage that haven't been there before. Yeah, none of, no one in in this finals run has ever been to an NBA finals. I, I don't believe. How insane is that? How insane is that? When, I would love to know when the last No, time... wait, no. Jay Crowder. The only guy. Damn it. But did he did he ever win? He hasn't ever no, won. No, he, he he was in that heat run last year. Yeah. No, never so still every single player is up for their first championship, which is it blows my mind. Also a, a crazy thing to think is we already have one guaranteed NBA champion in Torrey Craig since he, he played with Milwaukee earlier in the season. Oh, he's sitting pretty. He's sitting pretty. <laughs> uh, a, a guaranteed ring, no matter what. <laughs> That's just, wow. That's nice. That's nice. He ain't sweating it. I can tell you that. He is not sweating it. Obviously, I think he would love nothing more than to do it with the team that he's currently with obviously, and probably even a little more so knowing the fact that he was let go by the Milwaukee Bucks, but still, you know, I mean, he he literally can't lose. No, he cannot. Um, But I I hope y'all enjoyed listening to us rant about this, this NBA finals and a whole bunch of other random NBA stuff for about an hour. It's been fun being able to get back on here. And I, I, I know you're feeling the same, Ian, but I've missed it tremendously. Oh, that's why this whole episode was just everything off the top of our head. I mean, we I know for a fact we could go on this podcast for another four hours with how long we've been deprived of doing it. And so to just get back in the flow, and, and even though it may have been an untraditional kind of episode, we didn't lay it down, you know, start to finish kind of like we kind of like to do normally. It felt good just to get back on the horse, back on the saddle again. And you guys know I am sorry. Jason is sorry. Uh, well, Jason has no need to be sorry. A lot of this was just over my own personal availability. But you guys don't have to sweat it anymore. I finished up a good majority of my summer classes. I'm back home. I hit my one trip of the summer. You know, I just kind of had to do it. You know, COVID kept me in the house too long. But now – with COVID being over, I had to, you know, jump at the opportunity to take a trip. But I'm back now, baby. And we are back now. And you know where you can catch the best sports news in podcast form every single week. And that's with Hot Takes from the Berg. Also, uh, for our football fans out there, last month without NFL football until March. 
Woo! So that enjoy good. that. Uh, but with that, I have, of course, been your host, Jason Mitchner, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time.